0: Well, we have spent the last several weeks, a long, more weeks than I was expecting or planned on, but uh, several weeks learning from Jesus on how we are to pray. Uh, something that, that we all need to grow in, looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so I just want to give you a quick recap on where we've been in looking at the Lord's Prayer. We've, we began by learning to pray the way Jesus taught us um, not by asking for things for ourselves, but for actually looking uh, toward God and asking for things for him, asking things that are centered on on him, so prayer begins as Jesus teaches us, not with our name, our glory, uh, our kingdom, our will, right but but prayer begins, Jesus teaches us with with God, his name, his glory, his kingdom. His will. And Jesus says, when you pray, you're praying to God as your father, not as your boss, not as, your boss, uh, not as uh, the guy that owns the store that you go to, uh, not as the government, right? God is our father. When we place our faith in Jesus, God is our Father. We're his sons and daughters. And and so that means we can have this closeness and intimacy with God and relate to him in that way. But also, God is, is glorious, right? His name is holy. He's set apart. There's no one like him. He's the sovereign king of all the universe. And Jesus says we pray for his kingdom to come, right? We pray for his kingdom to be evident in all these different areas of life for all people and all of creation to recognize the reality that God is the king of all things, and to pray for his will to be done, right to see what God wants, what he desires for all those things to come to pass in our own lives and in all of the world. And and so last week we started looking at uh, Jesus' invitation to also bring to God our Father our personal needs, to pray about the things that we need, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs. And we learned about how to pray, how to bring our needs for daily provision before God, that there's nothing that is too small for us to ask God for. There's nothing that is too insignificant or too big to ask God for, that he will meet all Of our needs. So today we're going to look at how Jesus taught us to pray forgive us our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. So we're going to see that forgiveness is first a vertical restoration that produces an inward reality of assurance, and second, forgiveness is a horizontal reconciliation or restoration that produces an outward reality of reconciliation. See, I'm already getting them mixed up. Uh, but they'll, I think they'll be clear on the slides. At least we'll have that for us. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus taught us to pray, verses 9 through 13. It's on page 811 if you're using one of the Bibles from the table. In the back, and it will also be on screen. All right. Jesus taught us to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we need you this morning, just as we learned last week. We are dependent on you for everything. And we are dependent on you right now. I am dependent on you. Uh, I have prepared and, and I have gotten ready, but I am dependent on you to feed your people with your word. Each one who's listening is dependent on you to, to bring home the truth of your word, to, to reveal sin in their own hearts and to bring repentance, and to bring restoration. And I pray that you would meet us here this morning, maybe in ways that we weren't even expecting. And I ask that you uh, would cover us with your grace as we, as we sit here, as we have come, uh, and, and meet us in this moment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, first, when we pray, as Jesus has taught us, Father, forgive us our debts, we are talking about what we could call vertical restoration. When we pray in this way, uh, as Jesus showed us, we are restoring a relationship between us and God. So forgiveness is first something that we need to think about vertically, and and vertically, just giving us the picture of we're on Earth, God is above us. So, just gives us kind of some spatial idea. <laughs> um, so, so forgiveness is first something we need to think about vertically. Whenever we sin, even when it's against other people, our debt is owed first to God. We owe Him something because of that sin. There is a penalty that is. Accrued. And so there has to be a restoration, a reckoning between us and God. Now, this is one of the, the most basic truths of Christianity. We have sinned against God, which puts us in his debt. We deserve a penalty for our wrongdoing against him. And the good news of the gospel says, Jesus, he has Paid that penalty for us. Our debt has been paid fully, completely by Jesus, by another. That's that's why we say it's good news. Because what we owed has been paid by someone else. This is what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses or your debts... Uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, our sins, our debts, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So in in the Greco-Roman world that the New Testament was written in, the, the record of debt uh, that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about, it was a written note. Here's the amount of debt that is owed, here's who owes it, and here's who it is owed to. So it's this written record, just like the bank or whoever you owe money to, has a. Rec- they know how much you owe, they know when it's due, they know how much interest they're charging you, right? So, so a written record of debt. So Paul uses this picture of, of an actual physical piece of paper to illustrate We, each person, each one of us, owes, we, we owe a debt to God because of our sin. But the gospel says, God has graciously settled this debt for anyone who's put their faith in Jesus by and Paul says, "Think of this that That God has taken that record of your debt, that piece of paper, and nailed it to the cross that Jesus was crucified on. The debt is paid, right? That is is one of the most basic truths of our faith in Jesus. So if that debt has been paid, and that's what the gospel tells us, why then is Jesus teaching us to ask for the forgiveness of our debts. Why is Jesus teaching us to pray this way? Is that pardon from sin. Something that we have to continually ask for. Or it will, be, it will reappear. Uh, that, that debt that, we, that was nailed to the cross. Is, is our forgiveness conditional? Uh, can it be taken away? So to help us answer that question. I think we have to remember this whole prayer. We're not just, we can't just look at it phrase by phrase, even though that's what we're doing every week, but we have to think about it as a whole. Who is Jesus teaching us that we're praying to? God is our Father, right? God is our Father. So if this prayer is to our Father, this means that prayer is always situated within a relationship, okay? It's always within a relationship. So so this doesn't have to do with our initial pardon from sin, our record of debt that was nailed to the cross. So then what is Jesus talking about? This prayer of forgiveness is one of confession from a child seeking restoration of relationship with their father. All of this prayer, all of prayer is really rooted in our communion with God, our intimacy with God. It's not a transaction, it's not a routine, it's not a ritual. Prayer is a a way that we have communion with God. We spend time with him, we enjoy intimacy with him. So when we are asking, forgive me for my sin, we're looking for a renewal or a restoration of what actually already belongs to us as children, sons and daughters of God. So, so this may be helpful for, for you. Think about your own experience, either as a child or as a parent. So I think we all fit in one of those two categories, uh, sometimes both. Uh, there are many instances. Think about yourself as, as a kid. We've gone against what our parents have told us. We all have done it, okay? Even, even the good kids, right? You all did something that you were not supposed to do. And as parents, our children have done the same thing. All of our children have gone against something that we have told them to do. And, and so wrong has been done. Wrong has been done. Whether we're a child, whether we're a parent, wrong has been done that we have committed or has been done against us, okay? Okay? So if that happens, or when that happens, we should say. This is not an if situation. When this happens, if our family is operating in a healthy way, um, no one has any question about their identity in that situation. Uh, I don't, you know, when I, and my mom is here today, so uh, she she can attest to this, when I sinned against my parents on numerous occasions. I didn't cease to be their son. I didn't stop being their son. And in the same way, when my children have sinned against me, I don't cease to be their father. They don't cease to be my children when they sin against me. But again, wrong has been done in this situation. There has to be reconciliation between the parents and the children. And until that reconciliation happens, there's a division. There's a chasm that exists between the parent and the child. There's a, there's a hindrance to intimacy and to transparency, right? There's, there's a wall that's up. Love has not stopped. It hasn't ceased to exist, but it's, it's being dammed up. Right? It's being prevented from flowing between a parent and a child as, as it should. What breaks this dam? Confession breaks this dam, tears this dam down that's between us. So, so in the same way, when we, uh, as, as we are forgiven sons and daughters, like you and I, if we believe in Jesus, we've been adopted into his family Right? We will still sin against our Father. We will still sin. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. But that does not change our identity in the Father. We are still His children. Our adoption into His family is not conditional upon our performance. We belong to Him. He is not going to give up on us. But the truth is, our sin will hinder our relationship with God. Our sin will hinder that relationship. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. Why? Because sin is always personal. Sin is always has to do with a relationship. right? It's, it's, it's not uh, just some list of rules that was, that was out there somewhere and we're just breaking a penal code, P6492.5, right? Like, it's always personal. Sin is always personal. Eugene Peterson says, we don't sin against a commandment; We sin against a person. Sin is a violation of a personal relationship. But what Jesus is teaching us here is that relationship can be restored through confession, through bringing our sin before God. Now, I know that as Protestant Christians, we have a complicated relationship with confession, Uh, especially those of us who didn't grow up in a liturgical, kind of a formal church setting. Confession just sounds like something that Catholic people do. Uh, they go and tell their sin to a guy in a booth, and and a lot of us don't even know the the ins and outs of what that looks like in the Catholic faith. So, but there is this suspicion that we have as Protestants, like when I confess my sin, and am I am I diminishing what Jesus has done? Like, am I diminishing the forgiveness of my sin by asking continually on an ongoing basis for my sin? To be forgiven. But Jesus is clear here. Ask for your sins to be forgiven on an ongoing basis. The sins that you commit as one of His children. We don't have to keep asking for sin to be forgiven that He's already paid for, but on an ongoing, continual basis. This should be a regular practice in our lives, one of confessing our sin before. The Lord. And as we confess, our relationship is restored and renewed. A picture that Jesus gives us in the New Testament is Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son that we know very well, probably. Uh, the son sins against his father, and he returns to his father. He was always a son, right? His, his identity as a son was never changed, even though he wanted it to change. He said, I'll just relate to you as a servant, not as a son. But in his confession, in his repentance, in his humility, he is restored. Right, His relationship with his father is restored. And then he gets to live in the fullness of that identity that he never lost. But it's restored and it's renewed as he returns to his father. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray when he says, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins. I love this quote from Sam Storms. And he's, he's talking about this part of the Lord's Prayer. He says, the goal of this prayer, when we pray to for, for forgiveness from our sins on an ongoing basis, the goal of this prayer is not salvation. We have that already. The goal of this prayer is the renewal of its joy and power and the spiritually Reinvigorating experience of comfort and consolation. And this is getting at our next point. As we confess our sin, as we experience this restoration with our Father, we find that forgiveness creates a new inner reality, that forgiveness is assurance. Now, now when you and I owe a debt, which probably most of us owe some kind of debt to someone, what's the way that we try to deal with it? We try to pay it off, right? So, I mean, hopefully that's that's your intention or your plan. We try to to pay it off. And and I know like it can be overwhelming sometimes, right? The the debt that we owe can sometimes feel crushing to us and it's it's a little frightening. At times, but, but even still, we're always trying to figure out a way, how do I pay off my debt? And when we are actually able to finish paying off something, it gives us a sense of satisfaction. It gives us a sense of accomplishment that, that I, I owed this. And even if I shouldn't have done that, like it's, it's over, right? I don't owe any more to that person or to that debt. Now, we have to realize that our approach to our debt with God is, is no different, that we will still try to pay it off. We'll, we'll try to pay off our debt through whatever category, or whatever uh, criteria that we give ourselves. If I try to live a good life, I can pay off my debt to God. If I, um, if I keep the rules, if I Pay it forward. If I, uh, if I just do more good than bad, then I can pay off my, my debt. Um, if I just keep on the straight and narrow, whatever that means to me, whatever, whatever you want to call it, that's, that's the way we try to pay for our sin. Now, if we are continually sinning on an ongoing basis, how could we ever pay off this debt? That, that we owe because of our sin. You can work and work and work and do as many good deeds as you, as you can. You have the best day. You helped everybody. You paid for everybody's coffee. You didn't yell at anyone. You smiled. Best day that you've ever had. And you still look up at the end of the day and the balance hasn't gotten any smaller. right? You still, you still owe a debt because of your sin. So, so if this is how we look at our relationship with God, we're, we're always going to feel like we're, we owe him, that we, we need to perform better. Uh, and at some point, he's going to figure out, like he's going to open up the file cabin all the way and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that they had done so many bad things. Like right? they really owe me and I'm going to go collect. Now, outside of Jesus we actually should have that fear. Like, that should be a real, uh, a real concern for us. Because, because Jesus is really clear throughout Scripture, no debt will be left unpaid. Right? Everything will be collected upon. But if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we already saw this, the note of our debt, the record of our debt, it's been nailed to the cross. So that debt is paid, And if that's true, then we don't have to be afraid anymore of of God finding it in the file cabinet because it's gone. It's been paid. So the prayer that Jesus is teaching us and our prayer of confession, it actually is reminding us of that truth again and again and again. As we confess, we're looking back on what Jesus has already forgiven us of Not in fear, but a recognition. That's already been paid for. And as we confess, as we're reminded of what Jesus has already done, that gives us assurance. That gives us confidence. So whether you had that great day and you were a good person, you think, or you had the worst day, like you did everything wrong, and you knew it consciously, whether you had a good or a bad day, our place in Jesus' family is secure. There's this historic practice in in many churches uh, where there's a congregational confession. Maybe some of you have gone to a church. We've actually done this here at different times where we, we stand together and we confess our sins before God. And it's already written out so you don't have to like Start yelling the things you did in the morning before you got here. Uh, but it's, but it's, a, it's a confession of our sin, that, that we haven't loved you as we should. We haven't, uh, given, we haven't given you the honor and, and the worth that is due your name and so on and so on. But the confession of sin uh, as a body together is always followed by what's called an assurance of pardon. And we're actually going to finish today. I'm going to pray a prayer of confession and an assurance of pardon for us. And we always have to link these two together that our confession of sin is always followed by an assurance of pardon. This is what the Apostle Paul talks, our Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1. He says, If we confess our sin, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess, it requires us. You got to be broken. You got to be humble. You got to admit, I knew better, and still I did it, right? Confession requires humility. You can't fake it. And we all know what it's like when somebody fakes an apology, right? Like, you know, you just made me really mad, so I'm sorry that I responded. I'm sorry that I offended you, right? I mean, we we have heard so many fake apologies. We know what it sounds like. But when you hear a real apology, you sense the humility and the brokenness in it, right? And you sense it in your own heart when you... You know the difference between when you're really sorry, when you're actually confessing something versus just kind of trying to make the person not mad at you anymore. When we confess our sin before God, it requires honest humility and brokenness, but, but it's this gateway, this opportunity to return to joy. This is what King David says in Psalm 51. This is his prayer of confession, right? He committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he, he arranges the murder of that man to cover up. Uh, the pregnancy that comes through his unfaithfulness, through his infidelity, right? And he's the king of Israel. He is the greatest king in Israel's history. He is a man after God's own heart, and this is what he does. And Psalm 51 is the prayer that he prays of confession to be restored. He confesses his sin before God, and after his confession, he says... In verse 12, restore to me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me what I have known. Renew me. Show me that I am yours. Bring me home. Confession and the promise of ongoing forgiveness for our sin, it brings restoration. It brings comfort. It brings hope because forgiveness is... Assurance. So, so far, Jesus has taught us forgiveness is this vertical restoration between us and God. And that, that reality, right, it creates this new reality in us where we're not afraid, but we have assurance that we've been forgiven. But Jesus has more to teach us in this prayer. That it's not just something that is needed between us and God, but it's also something that's needed between us and other people. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So forgiveness is also a horizontal restoration. So if, if sin against God is personal, if all sin is personal, that means many of our sins, the things that we do, are going to affect other people. It's going to be personally affecting others. And when we sin against others, others, it ruins or or has negative consequences in our relationships with other people. So so when we sin, it's creating barriers, it's throwing up walls, it's creating these gaps and chasms between us and other people. And we know what this feels like, right? We we sin against other people and we don't want to to see them. Right? We, we feel a distance from them, especially if the closer we are to that person when we sin against them, that, that chasm can feel so wide, right? We've, we've hurt them. We've done something against them, and we can't make any excuses, and the same is true when we've been sinned against. Something is between us and them, and it can't just be brushed away, right? Right? Time does not heal those wounds. It can't be ignored, right? It remains in the room like a, just like an unwanted guest, like just this heavy weight. I, I know that feeling of just feeling like my chest has a weight on it because of what I have done against someone else. So what do we do with this weight? What do we do with this Burden. So Jesus says, when, as we receive God's forgiveness, that we also forgive those who have sinned against us. And this is not conditional. We have to hear this here because a lot of times we read it and we're like, God will not forgive me if I don't forgive other people. So, so again, God's forgiveness of us does not depend on our forgiveness of other people. In fact Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying our forgiveness. Of those who have sinned against us. It actually depends on God's forgiveness of us. Our, and our understanding. Our experience of God's forgiveness of us. So if we don't understand. And, have, and, and are walking in the forgiveness that God has given to us. We're not going to be able to extend it to other people. We can try. But we're not really going to be able to forgive others if we haven't received the 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 forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. Uh, Tim Chester he says we become forgiving people as we receive forgiveness from God. Forgiveness of others really is a sign we have understood what the grace of God looks like. We understand what forgiveness looks like because we've received it from God ourselves, and this is. Uh, In in Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus gets this question from one of his disciples. How many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? You ever wondered that question? (laughs) Like, how many times? Is there a limit on this? Like, this one's really bad. This seems like too many. So Jesus is asked this question. How many times do I need to forgive someone who sins against me? He tells this parable about... uh, this man who's forgiven this huge debt by a king, right? Massive debt that he could never pay off. The king forgives him of the entire debt and says, you no longer owe this anymore, right? Sound familiar? (laughs) The debt has been paid. But then this man who's just been forgiven of this incredibly huge amount of debt, he finds someone who owes him a small amount of money. And he holds that man Hostage. He has him thrown into prison until he can pay off the, the small debt that he owes. And the king, the gracious king, hears about this. And he says, how could you show such a lack of mercy? You have been forgiven so much. How could you not forgive the one who owed you so little? And he throws the first man into prison. What is Jesus showing us here? He's saying... The question really isn't how many times do we forgive people. It's to go back again and again and to remember what we have been forgiven. What debt has been paid for us? And then we look at those who've sinned against us in light of what we have been forgiven of. J.I. Packer, he says, those who live by God's forgiveness must imitate it. One whose only hope is that God will not hold his faults against him forfeits his right to hold others' faults against them. We don't like forfeiting any rights, do we, right? That We're, we're very big on our rights. But one whose only hope is that God will not hold his faults against him forfeits his right to hold others' faults against them. So our vertical restoration with God leads to a horizontal restoration with others. These sins that have been committed against us, they don't have to have the final word in our relationships with people in our lives. We can be restored to one another. And this leads to our final point that this horizontal restoration, it produces an external reality that forgiveness is reconciliation. Some of you may, may know this story. In, uh, last year in September, there was an off-duty police officer in, in Dallas named Amber Geiger, and she came into the wrong apartment, and she thought there was... Well, there's still... An, there's not a lot of clarity as to what happened, but um, she shot and killed the the young... The 26-year-old man... Named Botham Jean, um, as he was in his apartment, uh, and he was killed. And and throughout the trial, she was uh, gave testimony. All this, but but she was convicted of murder, not not manslaughter, but murder. And she was sentenced to ten years in prison. And and, and as happens in in trials like this, there's an opportunity for the families of the victim to to make a statement. And so Botham. Uh, his brother, who's an 18-year-old young man named Brant, he made a statement to, to the woman who killed his brother. He said, I forgive you. I love you. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. And, and then incredibly, he, he asked the judge, can I give her a hug? Did you guys, anybody see this video? Just an incredible moment. And, and she is sobbing into his chest as he hugs her. And you can't hear what he's saying to her. But he's already said, I forgive you and I love you and I want the best for you. How could this young man forgive this woman who killed his brother? It's because he understood his own forgiveness. He understood the way that God had shown him great mercy. And that leads him, led him to extend forgiveness to someone who had sinned against him. And all the world got to see. This is what true forgiveness that's, that's rooted in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, this is what it looks like. It looks like this external reality of reconciliation, that people who were separated because of sin can be brought together, that there can be restoration between them. Now, I do want to give a word of caution here, because... Forgiveness and reconciliation won't always look like what happened in that courtroom. Many of us can't and and should not share a hug with those who have sinned against us. And biblical forgiveness doesn't require us to necessarily be in a close relationship with those who have sinned against us, and it also doesn't mean that people don't have to face the consequences for their sin. Amber Geiger, she is serving her 10-year prison sentence, and that is, that is justice being done as close as it can be. Uh, a pastor and a counselor, Brad Hambrick, he talks about this, uh, this, I think, wisdom here for us in understanding this. Restoration of trust and forgiveness are two distinct but related things. One can cancel a debt, forgiveness, without being eager to give more credit. Attacking someone with their fault is a sign of unforgiveness, but a hesitancy to potentially place oneself in harm's way again is not. There's a difference between forgiving someone and being reconciled to them and trusting them. So so we don't have to rush to just say, okay, you're forgiven and, and everything goes back to the way that it was because sometimes it doesn't. Okay, And we need to understand that. That's, that's really something that we have to work out in more one-on-one conversations and in our gospel communities, things like that. What does wisdom look like in forgiveness? But here at the close, I do, I do want us to go back to that picture of, of Brant, John, and, and Amber Geiger because... That's what forgiveness can look like. And that's what reconciliation can look like. It can be a hug between a killer and a victim. But forgiveness that happens between two people that no one else sees is no less powerful. It's no less meaningful Even when no one else sees it, it's making public, even between those two people, this declaration, this is what God has done in my own heart, and so I can be reconciled to you, even though you've sinned against me. Every time we forgive someone, we point to the cross, and we say, because I am forgiven, I can forgive. Because I have been restored, I can forgive. Restore, Because I have been reconciled to God, I can be reconciled to others. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I'm going to close in prayer here. And, and what I'm going to do is just read a historic prayer of confession uh, and an assurance of pardon. And so it won't be up on the screen. So I just encourage you to, to bow your heads Close your eyes and and just pray this along with me. Hear, Hear the confession, hear the assurance of pardon. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And now the assurance of pardon. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are assured that there is no sin so terrible that God cannot forgive, no hurt so terrible that God cannot heal. God accepts, God forgives, and God sets free. Receive the forgiving love of God. By true faith in Jesus Christ, I am righteous before God, an heir to life everlasting even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. So we believe, Lord Jesus, we confess our sins and we receive the assurance of our pardon, of your forgiveness. We pray this in your beautiful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.